our April edition of the Coaches Show on the New York Red Bulls Radio Network featuring head coach Chris Armas talking about the draw in Kansas City and a look ahead to New England. Assistant coach C.J. Brown stops by to discuss his path to Red Bull and the life of an assistant coach in Major League Soccer. This is our Coaches Show on the New York Red Bulls Radio Network. I'm Matt Horman. Okay, here we go. listening to the coaches show with chris ormus on the new york red bulls radio network coaches you guys get set for a game in new england with the revolution part of this two-game road trip before we look ahead at that one let's go back a little bit and talk about the game from sunday against kansas city wound up being a a 2-2 draw and, you know, as, as Steve and I did that game on Red Bulls Radio, we took it in in a direction of for a mid-April game, that game had so many little twists and turns and ebbs and flows to it. It was a fun game to be part of, and it was a fun game to watch our guys um, show up in a big way. And we all know it's a difficult uh, place to play against a really good team, and... We went toe-to-toe, and, and for a good stretch, when it was really on the line, we, we were maybe the better team um, until late did they get the corner kick goal. So we left there feeling really good about things, feeling like uh, that looked much like us. When you think of it in that first half, it was almost as if your team, your side, had to withstand pretty intense pressure the first, I'll say, 10, 12, 15 minutes where Kansas City – wanted to try and I would imagine erase the fact that they were eliminated in the fashion they were against Monterey they did get that early goal and at at one point you almost got a sense where it was going to start to snowball a little bit and are things going to get worse before they get better but as you said the mentality of the team kind of changed and and especially in that second half took on a real different atmosphere but yeah you know it's an interesting start to the game we're off the kickoff. We had a, a, a turnover, and then that almost set the tone for the first ten minutes or so. But when you look at the first half, uh, the way we have, um, there ends up being a couple of really good moments for Danny behind Zuzi. There's some moments Croze uh, we get behind with uh, Murillo getting forward. Brad, you know, has a, a couple of good looks. Christian ends up. I think it was Christian scores the goal that got taken back, right and. So you had a bunch of these attacking moments, had to put out a few fires from a couple of giveaways. Um, they beat our pressure a few times, not as much as uh, that caused us trouble. But yeah, it was, it was a, a difficult first little stretch to the game, but then we did settle in the second half in a nice way. Was there any conversation that took place in the locker room from the first half to the second half? Because it was apparent that there were some tactical adjustments number one and almost the mentality switch number two not that the first half short of that goal was was poor by any uh stretch of the imagination but definitely in the second half it looked like a new york red bull team from past years we 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 spoke about a few things and you know the 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 first thing that we spoke about before getting into any tactics and you know nuances pressing was really going after the game that we 
have to throw ourselves at the game in a different way. It's not always going to be um, as structured in the pressing as you'd like because they do different things when they have the ball. They're a team that, that, that plays with positional play, and they, they, they can if you're man-marking them, they can start dragging opponents away from They can move you around a little bit. And it just became a dialogue at halftime. Guys, we have to just, the nearest guy is running at the ball. Now, then we start, talked about how to change our pressing, which we, we altered it a little bit. In the first half, we flattened out with Kaku and Danny Royer and pressed from the inside out with, let's say, two tens, which was Christian and Mark. So we were pressing from the central midfielders to their center backs. In the second half, we pressed with Bradley Wright Phillips and our outside midfielder and then released our outside back as well. So if you almost have to picture what that looks like, right? So Mark Shakovsky would run at their center back. They would slide the ball out to their left back, and then Maria was right in their face. And it, it created this big shift in the back line. But what that ended up doing was that type of pressing it needs everyone all at once covering big distances, big spaces, massive shifts in the back line. And it almost helped us grow into the game. And it, it started giving Kansas City trouble at the same time. When you think of it, the goal that put you guys up at 2-1 coming from Brian White with a great individual effort, and it was pretty shortly after you had made that substitution. I'm sure it's never easy, right, when you've got to take Brad off and put somebody else in his place. Um, Turned out to, to ultimately be a good move because Brian wound up getting the goal. The thought process that goes into a move like that, when you've got to take out, I'll say, one of your core guys a guy who has that history of scoring goals when the team needs him to score goals but uh on a night where where you made the decision that you needed a different look and fresh legs listen the the, the decisions like that um i don't when we're in the moment uh, they're not that difficult because it doesn't matter who it is and it doesn't matter when it is it's the question we ask is what does the game need and it's always the, the decisions made in the best interest of the team. So oftentimes with Brad, you know, he's a guy that we, we think, yeah, it, it, we keep him out there. We need a goal or um, there's usually a, a feeling like, yeah, that, that keep him running. But this game had a, had a big demand of running and he never wants to come off. He never, he's the biggest competitor I know. So in that specific moment, there was a lot of dirty work that was going to be required to come back into the game for that striker and to still challenge their back line and to make sure we're staying onside and relieving the pressure, jumping for aerial duels. There was so many little things that needed to be uh, happen still. And, of course, Brad would do it. But when you have Brian, who's known for his presence and his energy, and then maybe you could just uh, get that a fresh tank on the field. And that was the, that was the you know, decision um, making behind it. Red Bull head coach Chris Armas joining us here on the New York Red Bulls radio network. It is our monthly coaches podcast. Uh, you can make sure to uh, like, rate, review, subscribe to us on uh, whether it's Apple, Google, Stitcher. You can listen to us here on our TuneIn radio network and on the New York Red Bulls app as well. Uh, Coach, with that 2-2 draw, you break out of that, I'll say, three-game losing streak. And I was thinking about, and you and I had talked about it pregame as well, how much talk or conversation goes into, okay, we're, we're in a little bit of a, of a bad way, which every team does. Every team has ups and downs during the course of a year. And you had kind of said, we weren't really talking about a three-game losing streak. We were more just worried about, let's go out and play a good game. 
we didn't talk about a losing skid, losing streak. It hasn't happened since whenever. That was not the dialogue. We showed up every day of the week with a real plan to go after each day and to maximize each training session, each uh, video session, to prepare for the opponent, to get on the same page, to come t together as a team. Um, and that's that was a dialogue right before kickoff, that we're just going after the game and we weren't going to waste any time. And then... And then you know, then the reality comes. You got to step on the field, and the whistle blows, and and now there's a, an opponent in front of their home fans that <laughs> is not easy to play against. So, yeah, look, that that energy before the game, I think, carried us through the game, put us up in the game, helped us rally from being down a goal, and then uh, to close out the game. I mean, they score one against the run of play a little bit. They didn't enter into our 18-yard box m many times in the last 15 minutes, but they did on the corner kick, and and they. Uh, they made a play. So you think of it from a uh, idea of going into the game. You always say, "Win at home, see if you can get a point on the road." Most people would have said going into that game, "Wow, if New York can get a point against Kansas City, that's a good one." But in a lot of the comments of guys after the game, there there is a little bit of a sense of disappointment because you're up two one. They get that late goal. The game kind of dissolves for for a myriad of reasons. So coming back now and then taking this into New England, is there a sense of, I'll say, yes, we're on the right path, or we let a couple of points go, or is, or is it C, a combination of, of those two answers? Well, we, we went to Kansas City to get three points, and we started the game with that mentality. We finished the game that, with that mentality. We made subs with that mentality. We didn't think bunker in hang on we didn't think that was the way we didn't think to be reckless and just throw all the attackers out there but we methodically went after the game we went there for three points we put ourselves in a spot for three points and had it until two minutes left in the game and then yeah they score the second one and now you're on the road there's momentum and now you just things kind of ended quickly after even that incident that happened so um anyhow i think that uh <clears throat> After the game, there was a real good feel. Okay, you're battling. We let some points slip. We we got a point. But the best thing about it was against a good team that we just showed up. Like, that's a big, big step. When, when you're going through a tough time and you're not getting all the results you want, that you can step in the ring against a good, good team and uh, come out feeling like a winner. I know for any coach, they would say any team is dangerous. Any team is a good team. But as we transition into last week's game to this week's game against New England, the revolution, a team right now that are struggling and struggling big time. Um, you think they've only got the one win on the season. They've been very up and down. Their coach in Brad Friedel a couple weeks ago really challenged the team, challenged the league as a whole in a way. Um, and last week they, they came out with a 2 nothing loss against New England. Is this a – Hard team to figure out in the Revolution right now. What, where they're at from a, I'll say, scouting standpoint as as you get ready to, to play them on Saturday. Well, listen, I, I think I don't think it's a hard hard situation to figure out. I didn't think that. I mean, most teams in, that you play against, you have a good idea of what the game's going to look like. And right now, if we think that the the game is going to be anything easy or you're playing against a team that hasn't gotten results or we'd be crazy, right? So we know it's going to be 
combative. We know that they play direct. We know that they like to press. We like to do all those, all those things as well. And we can tell you when it's Red Bull versus Red Bull in training, what that looks like. It's it it it's not so pretty all the time because it's two combative teams. So if this sets up to be what training looks like at many days, then it's it could be a battle of will. It can be a battle of details. It could be a battle of second balls, um, set pieces, the whole bit. So might it be raining? It, it's on turf. Conference rivals. Teams that each team's looking for points, so we know it's going to be a difficult game. I don't. I think we all know it's not going to be uh, two teams passing the ball around, seeing you know which one could just outdo each other that way. It's going to be a battle. You did a really good job of laying out all the potential storylines for this game between the weather and the rivalries and two teams trying to get their seasons turned back around. We know what it'll look like. That's what it. I mean, we're naive if we, we you know if we thought otherwise. As we record here midweek going into New England, there's been no decision as of yet. But one thing that you do know is you won't have Kaku at least for the game against the Revolution. Thinking of, okay, deep roster, um, and you did make a couple of changes going into the Kansas City game to try and free him up a little bit. Now, how do you respond knowing that you won't have him to try and build on the Kansas City game? Yeah, it's interesting, you know, how how the different – options and weapons we have up the field um how we will end up uh supplementing that you know the attack so i i think even on the the assist that kaku had you could see why we even started him in a wide spot he does like to drift into the wide areas where he can serve that ball better than anyone and then even the the second goal was it no the first goal the second goal was for Brian White, so it's in a wide spot. And the first one, he drifts wide and then finds Brad in the pocket who lays it off to Christian and for Danny. So you can see that when he drifts wide, he's able to see lots of things. Now, in this game, I mean, Mark, we in this past game, we shifted Mark out wide to help with the pressing. So now, uh, and that seemed to work pretty well, but we also know that Mark is really comfortable in the middle. So we have lots of options up the field. We have speed with certain guys. We have... Vince Bezacourt and, and Omir Fernandez and Alex Mule that can play interior positions. So, yeah, it's it's not known right now. We're using the week to help with the decision and time. Um, but, yeah, we're excited that th- there's opportunity for other guys. As you think about other things that took place during the course of the week, um, someone you're quite connected with in your time here at Red Bull and your playing days with Chicago, Jesse Marsh, with an opportunity to go from New York to Leipzig and now Leipzig to Salzburg as he's been named as the head coach. Um, just your idea, maybe on, maybe you had insight to it before it happened, but just knowing a little bit about how that move um, sits with somebody like Jesse, how, how excited he must be for that and how excited the people here with Red Bull New York will be for him. Well, I mean, listen, for, for, for me, how proud I am of Jesse. You know, he, he – practices what he has preached you know stepping outside the comfort zone really challenging yourself to grow in all ways and here he is puts himself out of his comfort zone uh, learning German different country leaving a good situation here um, going to something that uh, a situation in Germany that that really was going to help him grow and learn and then the opportunity comes for him to coach coach in Salzburg and and as as 
as we all know, Jesse, I mean, he, he's up for the challenge. He's really excited. It's a dream come true for him. And as proud as I am, the Red Bull organization here in New York should be. Um, anyone that knows him in the soccer world should be. And Major League Soccer should celebrate that as well. That we have one of, uh, I mean, who not many have invested themselves and been, been as, in, you know, part of the growth of this league as a player and then a coach uh, with the national team as Jesse Marsh. So now an American going to be the head coach of a first division team getting ready for Champions League. Um, it's incredible. Jesse's incredible. Um, we're thrilled for him and, and we're behind him in every way. Chris, to follow up on that, have you had a conversation with him since the official announcement came out? Yeah, we've we've spoken. We've spoken briefly. Um, he's got a lot of planning to do. The next few weeks will be important, just you know, as he wraps up things and, and transitions and <clears throat> thinks about a lot of different things, getting a real handle on staffing and things like that and how he can pick up running. But he's ready for this challenge. He's excited for the challenge. He's... He feels ready to, to make this uh, this leap now. A couple more with uh, Red Bull head coach Chris Armis. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll be joined by assistant coach C.J. Brown, someone that Chris played with for a very long time in Chicago. Um, coaches, you look now through the first month plus of the season. So much of the talk has been the West being that much better than the East. Is that a trend that you guys have been paying attention to and following? I know you follow every team, but is it just early season, those have been the results, or is this a year that the West has kind of flexed their muscles a little bit more? Look, it's it's uh, it's always hard to tell this early on who's getting the results, which which teams have gotten more home games. You know, I think you, you we see some mixed results out there right now all over the place. Maybe the East is turned around a little bit. New York City, us, Atlanta, looking for some points. And, and Atlanta had a big result in the weekend. And listen, it's I think it's easy to see that certain teams, you know, LAFC, the Galaxy, they, they've gotten some nice results early and accrued some points. But, you know, if you look at us and Kansas City, and I think you could see it's anyone can beat anyone. I don't think it's uh, indicative yet that that it's it's shifted. I think the East is pretty pretty powerful and pretty strong when you think, um, you know, still Toronto is a good team. Columbus is off to a good start again. Um, D.C. most of the time has been up. Um, so, yeah, I, I think uh, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out, but I, it's, it's still too early. We're six games in. I want to finish with uh, where you will be this week. And one of your answers before made me think of this, and I figured we'd save it for, for last. You think about going to a place like Foxborough, and you mentioned the turf. Let's take the weather out of it, and it is supposed to be pretty bad in that, in that area on Saturday. But playing on turf versus playing on grass, how much does that get inside a player's head from week to week? Because most of the stadiums are grass. There are other places, Seattle, New England, a couple other spots that have turf surfaces. When you know that you're going to a stadium that has turf, is there anything from a coaching staff perspective that you do differently? Is there anything from a playing standpoint that you might do differently? Well, listen, you know, d does it, what gets inside the players' heads? I mean, it, it, it does wrap, help you wrap your mind around. It's a different game. 
it's a it, the, the the ball doesn't settle down as much. It's a little more jumpy as the ball moves. Um, there's nothing like playing on on real grass. Um, but specifically in New England, sometimes it comes with the elements of weather. Of course, now we're talking about the turf, the dimension of the field. Oftentimes, it's a little shorter in length. Throw in the fact that it's a, a combative team, and and so are we. So it just it just adds to the to the understanding of what type of game it's going to be. How do we prepare? It, you know, for that one. Listen, we oftentimes will. Sp- Maybe the day before the game at home, we, we might do a little bit of our 5e2s or set pieces on the turf and just to get a sense and, and prepare mentally a little bit physically for what that could be like. But we, we don't actually talk about it too much. We don't. You know, we don't want to make it a negative or an excuse. We know it's on turf. We've been there before. We've gotten results there on, uh, before. And we know it'll be difficult. And that's what we end up uh, talking more about. We'll take a timeout here. When we come back, we'll be joined by assistant coach C.J. Brown, New England and New York getting together, 7.30 start. We'll talk about that coming up. We'll talk about a lot more with Coach Brown. Chris, as always, appreciate you coming by, giving us uh, your time here. Great point on the road. Looking forward to this team continuing to turn things around, move up the table. Uh, Should be a good one this weekend in New England. Yeah, my pleasure, Matt. Thanks for having me again. I'm always willing to – share what's on my mind and within what's going on within our team and and thanks for all the listeners and uh folks for tuning in our coaches podcast continues right after this quick break on the new york red bulls radio network download the new york red bulls app today to stay up to date on everything new york red bulls buy share and scan your tickets get all the latest news and content and listen to new york red bulls radio in english and spanish then flip to arena mode to find concessions near your location and get real-time answers from the Red Bulls chatbot, available now on iOS and Android, or visit NewYorkRedBulls.com for more information. We are back here on the New York Red Bulls Radio Network, our coaches podcast that we do each month, along with our other ones as well, our players only, Steve Jolly and I inside the booth, uh, spending some time now with C.J. Brown after we just broke things down from Kansas City to New England with Red Bull head coach Chris Armas. Happy to have Coach on here now. So we get Bradley Carnell at halftime. A couple weeks ago, we had Preston to fill in for Brad, who was off with a coaching course. We, We haven't had you yet. Saving the we, best for last. We haven't had you at halftime. We haven't had you on the podcast. Um, I am looking forward to this. And I'm going to start it with a question that we dealt with a month ago when Chris was taking fan questions. You were part of one of them. I don't know if that came up in coaches' conversations or uh, anything. Someone had wanted to know what your nickname was as a player. Oh, and Chris could only come up with juice. Yes. Was that it? That was one of them, yeah. Uh, cool juice because of CJ, uh, and then it was uh, cookie jar because I like cookies. Also, CJ. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Are you still a cookie fan? Yes. What's the favorite? Uh, chocolate chip or oatmeal. Chocolate chip or oatmeal. How about chocolate chip and oatmeal? Would be very Top nice. of the list. Yes. Top of the list. Yes. Um, so you and I were just walking across, and we were talking about the weather as we're recording here midweek, getting ready for the game against the Revolution, and we both agreed this is this is it. 70, sunny, no cooler, no warmer, perfect. And I made the, the correlation to you. This is almost like prime conditions for Pacific Northwest, that Washington, Oregon corner – 
and for those that don't know, you were born in Eugene. Eugene, yes, I was. Now you say Oregon or Oregon? I say Oregon. Oregon. Yeah. Is that a debate within the state? Because I feel like that would be a topic that if you said it the wrong way when you were there, you'd get yourself into some trouble. I was too young, though. It wasn't much of a debate when I was uh, young, so maybe now for uh, the older people, but I, I don't know. You have been uh, part of Major League Soccer from 1998, 98, 98, moving forward in a lot of different roles and capacities. But if I said to you, tell me about your time with the San Francisco Seals, what do you remember? That was was a lot of fun. Um, It was a team that I actually watched from the outside for a while because there were a lot of guys. I mean, it was a good team before I was on it. And uh, watching them play and seeing how exciting they played, it it was a team that you you always wanted to be a part of. And uh, I finally got the chance my last two years before I, I came to the MLS. You know, it's interesting because you and Chris, uh, Steve Jolly, all you guys have such um, a personality which is ingrained with the beginning of Major League Soccer. Mm. So when you wind up getting picked in the supplemental draft by Chicago in 1998 and the league's a couple years old, did you think to yourself, I can make a career out of this or – I'm not even sure if this league's going to be here for another year or two. Yeah, that came – it was – when the league came in 96, I was still in college, and my college coach, Gary St. Clair, said, you could still – after college, you can play soccer. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, I think you could play in the MLS. And I'm like, oh, that would be interesting. And uh, I, I went through that whole process, tried out with the MLS before the seasons, before my uh, – I think my last year in college and I didn't make it. So I was like, ah, maybe it's not going to happen. So I stuck with uh, the seals and played with them. And that was great. Um, Yeah. You never, I didn't ever think about the league not lasting. I just never thought that I would be in a position to play in the league because I was never a national team player. I was never part of the ODPs and stuff like that. I became ODP my last year in college. And so it was like, I was never part of the system. So I never felt like I would ever make it. Uh, But being with the seals that gave me another platform to be seen and that's kind of how it worked and then you wind up playing from 1998 to 2010 so it's not a short career it's pretty long uh all with chicago a place that earlier this year new york was back uh for a game in in late march um and you and i actually talked about this the, the one night that we saw each other when you go back to chicago even though you've been back with other teams, and I'm sure the more you do it, the more regular it gets, it still has to have a pretty special meaning to you when you go back to a city that you had such great success with. Oh, yeah. it uh, That's a place where I kind of felt like I became a man. Uh, I, I was I was coming out of college when I went into moving, when I moved to Chicago, and my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, uh, she came with me. And we kind of grew. We grew as a family. We had our kids. We, I, I learned how to, you know, have my own rent and all the paying bills and everything about who I am now. It's kind of come from uh, living on my own in Chicago. And you have this bond that has existed for 20 plus years now yeah. with Chris. Yes. Um, would you have thought back in the beginning part of your career? 98 99 would you have said yeah i could see 20 years i could be i could be coaching with this guy like 
we'll, we'll, we'll have that friendship. We'll have that relationship that will always be in the world of soccer. And it would be great if at some point we were doing what at the time Bob Bradley was doing, mm. coaching the Chicago Fire. I want to say when I first met him, no, that never crossed my mind. Coaching in MLS never crossed my mind. Um, I've always loved to coach. I love to work with kids and stuff like that. But coaching in the MLS was not something that I thought about. As I got closer to the end of my career, I could always see myself doing something with Chris in soccer because I love his mentality and his way about the game and how he is so intense and he's competitive. So I felt that uh, if we were to work together, it'd be a good little match because I, I, I see the same things he sees sometimes and I just love his competitiveness. You know, even going back to when Jesse was the head coach and he would talk about it, Chris has talked about it, and I would imagine for you – you would have the same feeling about it being with Chicago during those years and having the success, the open cups, uh, the MLS cup, the supporter shield that you guys won all that success with, with uh, a coach in Bob that you guys all probably saw differently, especially back in the, in the mid twenties, which you were, but maybe now a I'll say appreciate a little bit more as you're as you're a coach. How many how many times do you think to yourself when you're out there coaching? Um, yeah, I can kind of I can I can hear Bob still in my voice as you're coaching now, trying to get younger players to elevate their game. Oh yeah, I mean you, you definitely don't think about it when you're playing, but after now being a coach, I go, man, I really understand why he was so upfront with me. I wonder what I I really understand why he was so direct with me. And uh, it, it, it really resonates with you when you're now coaching and you try to you try to use some of the things that he's he's uh, put in front of us. And we also try to find things that we maybe weren't so comfortable with to see if we could make those better. So, yeah, he was a, he's a huge uh, factor in, in when I coach and uh, see the game. So how unique is it for you? Um, without giving your specific age, early 40s, late 30s, early 40s. Early 40s I'll be complimentary <laughs> there and let people do their own research. Um, for you, as you progress as an assistant coach, and you've been at a couple different places along the way in your career, which we'll talk about coming up, as you get older and in a way the players get younger, how difficult is it to still relay messages to the younger generation? I'm finding it... Uh, at it's 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 a little more difficult than I think it was in in the past. Um, especially when I came right out from playing, it was fairly easy because I was still young and I was still kind of in the mix of playing. So players kind of said, "Oh, you know, he's been playing, so he kind of understands it, he sees it." And uh, now that it, it's getting it's, it's the, the distance is further, I think now I have to study players a little bit more, uh, learn personalities a little bit more, get to know them a little bit more. Uh, and then there's some guys that you can come really hard at and some guys you have to kind of, uh, work your way around. And then, uh, but the message always has to be the same. So figuring that out, has been a challenge, has been challenging. And I think that's the challenge for the, for any type of coach or manager is figuring out personalities and how you, how you get each player to, to react to what you want. C.J. Brown joining us here on our Coaches Podcast on the New York Red Bulls Radio Network. Don't forget to hit subscribe, whether it's on Apple, Google, Stitcher. You can listen to us on the New York Red Bulls Radio Network, our tune-in radio app. We'll be up and running uh, an hour prior to kickoff this weekend against New England as uh, New York will make that annual trip up to Foxborough. Real Salt Lake, Chicago, New York City, Orlando, New York Red Bulls. Is that the typical path? of an assistant coach in Major League Soccer. 
Um, sure. And I'll say it from 2011 <laughs> to 2019. That's a lot of stops in a short amount of time. Yeah, that's uh, that is. I mean, I've always been a, trying to be a stable guy. I mean, if you look at my playing career, it was 13 years in one, one place. spot. And you, there's a lot of sacrifices to do that. Also, you know. Um, but uh, and then coming into coaching, it has been a bit of a whirlwind for for the family and for myself. Um, the it, what of seven eight of those years has been with with one one head coach, uh, so that part has been consistent. But um, yeah, it's uh, it it's, it wasn't ideal to be bouncing around. But uh, I think my first three years at RSL was a was a huge learning step for me, and it was a a big success of my coach starting my coaching career and the rest has been a little bit rocky at trying to figure out uh how to adapt and adjust to different clubs basically so it's been uh, it's been challenging you mentioned the connection with one coach in a lot of those spots that being jason christ mm -hmm. who you worked with at salt lake and orlando and yes. new york city yes um and and probably for you when you stopped playing and i, th I think we talked about this in chicago it was almost kind of just by chance that you made that connection and you developed a relationship with him. Yeah, it was, it was, I was in the right place at the right time down in Fort Lauderdale at the Combine. And uh, I was actually down there with Daryl Shore because I was probably I was trying to get into an uh, assistant coaching job with uh, the Strikers, Fort Lauderdale Strikers, and um, ran into Garth, who was the GM at the time there in Salt Lake City. And he asked what I was doing. So I said, I'm you know looking to coach. And then he said, he said, well, why don't you, you ever thought about being in the MLS? I was like, yeah, but didn't really know anybody. And he's like, well, would you interview with, with, with Jason? I was like, like right now? He's like, yeah. So that night I went in and interviewed and went through the process from there on out. And it just so happened to, to work and click really well. You know, I think sometimes people, they look at professional sports, any sport, soccer, baseball, basketball, football, hockey, doesn't matter. And they think what a glamorous life. And there probably are perks mm -hmm. to it without question, oh, yeah. but there's also the personal side of it where you've had to bounce around, which also means you've had to bounce around your family yeah. to a lot of spots, which is probably pretty, pretty challenging and pretty difficult. Oh yeah. That's, I want to say for me has been the toughest because when you start bouncing around, sometimes you can look at it as, you know what, you, you, you've been failing, you're failing at stuff because you either get fired or you have to move on and this and when you look back at the people that have to change their lives because of, of what you're doing, it, it tends to weigh harder on you. Um, and I think I have a huge responsibility to make sure that my kids grow up in the right way and that they're respectful and they do all the right things. But then I also want them to be able to feel stable and have friends and grow up in a great neighborhood and all that good stuff, but I keep bouncing them around. So I do feel responsible for when they feel certain ways about moving. And, but to be honest, my kids have been unbelievable with it. Um, they started at a young age, so that's kind of all they know right now. But uh, they are at the age where it is, uh, is it in, it's important to settle down and create friendships and um, figure out who they are as, as people instead of bouncing around. You never wanna get them in the habit of saying, okay, I've been here for two years, I need to move. You know, So that's my biggest fear. But um, I think so far they've been very resilient and they've, they've uh, bounced back every time. My wife has been very encouraging and supporting in my, in my job. So she's, uh, she's been uh, what you ever call a ride or die in some sense uh, for, for the job. So it's, uh, I have a very good support group, but uh, you do f I do feel responsible in trying to provide and 
hopefully give them something stable. And right now I probably haven't done that very well, but, uh, but they've, uh, they've supported it throughout. Is it true that you got married a couple of days after winning the open cup? Yeah. The next day, the next day. Yeah. I was very fortunate. The owner and shoots, uh, flew us out, flew me out. 2000. Right? Yes. So we had a game. We had the final October. What was it? The, the 19th. Yeah. Okay. And ended up uh, flying out and the next day getting married. And like, I want to say almost nine to 10 guys showed up in California right after that for the, for the wedding, which was awesome. I mean, that must've been one heck of a weekend. Oh, it was, it was great. It was a great time. Uh, the, what do we celebrate? Do we celebrate this? Do we celebrate I mean, that? Talk about your emotions before a final. I'm in my head thinking I'm getting married tomorrow. Yeah. And then I got a final playing against, uh, I want to say it was Miami. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, playing against Diego Serna, which he's a handful in himself. Uh, and then, uh, it was just, uh, I mean, a, a, a ball of emotions and then flying out the next, actually I flew out that night. I, after I didn't even celebrate with the guys, I flew out that night and, uh, the next day I was getting married. Fantastic memory, by the way, Chicago winning their second open cup, beating Miami two to one yeah. at soldier field. Oh, I Sarah has a handful. I, I can't forget that guy. Here. When, when you think about it, um, and, and you'll see it actually this weekend when you go to new England playing in Foxborough. Uh, you're you're used to those kind of surroundings because you played for a lot of years in Soldier Field. When you think about that, I'll say debate about do you want to be here? Or do you want to be in a soccer specific stadium and, and the direction of the league? You know, there's been conversation with Chicago actually going back to Soldier Field to get out of where they are now. What's the best thing for the league? Do you want to or even a player? Do you want to play in this huge stadium or do you want to play in a soccer stadium? Yeah, I think that that's a double. It's a tough question because for the league, it's different for what it's good for the player. Uh, for a player, you want to be in a nice, intimate stadium where the the crowd's close to you and the environment's huge. Uh, whether it's twenty thousand uh, seats or or fifteen thousand seats, you want you want people to be right there and you want to hear that environment. The other part of it for the league is you want to be in a big city. You want people to be easy access. You want you want uh, you want that culture of the city type vibe, which is great. But if you put them in a big stadium and you have fifteen thousand people, and it's echoing, and that's probably not the funnest place to play. Uh, so that's the tough part about it. If I'm a player, I want the small, intimate. I want the fans right there, whether it's home or away, because it gets you it gets you going. Um, I can understand why. Chicago's trying to get back to the city. And I think as a fan, you want it to be in the city. You want it to be easy to get to. You want it to feel like, you know, you can, uh, you have this huge uh, environment around you where if you're traveling all the way up the suburbs, sometimes if you're a city person, that's not the thing you want to do. You've had, as we said, the opportunity to be in a bunch of different clubs as an assistant coach. And now um, since coming over kind of mid-year last year, you're working on your one-year anniversary here with Red Bull. Um as you think of it, what maybe makes because you know I, I, from the outside and even from the from the outside in and from the inside out, there's so much talk about the synergy of this club from the academy through the PDL through the USL through the first team, the way they play, the way they do things. Um, is that something that and you're the perfect guy to ask because you've been in a lot of different places. Is that something that is so unique in a way? to Red Bull that it's not unique in a lot of other places. Yes. That's, this is the first club I can say the, that I've been at 
that had it from youth all the way to the first team. And they had the, the full academy, they have the USL team, and they have the first team, and they all kind of have the same style of play. Um, and they're all kind of in the same building, uh, which is uh, which is amazing to me. So having that whole culture is is kind of what you like about the success of this club, and, and hopefully it one will day will be rewarded with a championship because you can see the progress you can see the effort everybody puts in to the red bull brand and the team and the style of soccer and stuff like that so i think that's this is the first club i've been to that's had all of it i would say rsl was for me was the first which they had their first team and their it was like a reserve team back then the old so, reserve league yeah which it all kind of ran the same so they were kind of already in they were in the same process as the red bull but they just didn't have the whole circuit they had the academy that was far away and but technically their academy was trying to play the same way it was a little different but they were trying so it was trying to get there but our uh, red bull where they have it it was it was instant it was stamped and everybody was doing the same thing let's finish with this one coming mid-year last season difficult for you as an as a coach to even though you're you're a veteran you're a veteran player you have a great career you're a veteran assistant coach but now all of a sudden you come in in the middle of a year difficult to adjust and kind of find your way extremely yeah it was um i mean and, and being as totally honest as i can Coming from a style of soccer that I was, it was about possession, wear teams down with possession, break the lines, open them up, and find the right opportunity to direct, vertical, narrow, uh, in-your-face, combative uh, style of soccer was extremely different. And in training, the pace and the short periods were different uh, coming in. And the terminology of what you use, like... I could use rest defense in some sense, which to me was proactive defending. And if I said proactive defending, I'm going, wait a minute, it's the wrong term. I got to say the right words to these guys so because it, it registers that way. Uh, so get, getting all that and trying to do that all within the first six months and the team was rolling at the time. So you didn't want to change and interrupt anything. <laughs> and so it was, yeah, it was very difficult because then I also had to get used to, to the type of players they had here and their habits and how they did things and versus my train of thought of how I would want them to do things. And this is, it's, you know, they have a way. So I had to adapt to that way, which um, it was that part wasn't so hard. It was more of just getting the style and the terminology and all that stuff, but adapting to players and figuring out their habits and stuff like that. I thought that was, uh, that went well, uh, or, or still going well, <laughs> it's working out. Um, but, uh, it was, it was challenging trying to get out of the whole possession. Cause I, I'd catch myself in some of our games going, Hey, just open yourself up and, you know, slip the next pass. I'm going, wait a minute. Nope. That's was, not what we do. Look forward, play yeah. forward. And now, you know press it defend it get in their face type stuff so difficult to we'll finish with this one difficult to coach against because you've seen it on the other Mm -hmm. side as well Mm -hmm. when you're getting ready for a red bull team is it like oh we've got to do x y and z which is very different than what we do for almost any other team in the league Mm -hmm. it is because um everything is so much faster and and so now you're trying to tell guys that have the whole time that you saying, okay, open yourself up, play possession, move the ball around. Now you're telling them, okay, you're going to have to do this with somebody in your face at 100 miles an hour. So, yeah, very difficult because you're still t- teaching your guys the 
hold the ball, make the next pass. Don't kick it far because we're looking to try to play through the lines. Where when guys are pressing you and doing that, it's hard to simulate that, especially in training because your guys are so used to opening up and spreading out and taking their time to move the ball through where it's similar to us. And when we sit there and try to train for another team and we're telling them, okay, they're going to play out of the back. Well, all our trainers are back and forth because they're so rapid. And so it's hard to train against, even for now, it's hard to train against our own guys because they want to do things fast and quick and forward. So it's, uh, I, th I think it is difficult to train, to train, to put a training against a Red Bull team. I appreciate you coming by and, and giving us the time here. I know it's always busy getting ready for a game this week uh, with New England. Quick recap. We learned cookie jar. <laughs> I'm glad you remembered that one. We learned all. cookie jar. <laughs> we learned Oregon mm -hmm. instead of Oregon. We yeah. learned your wife is a rock star. Oh, yeah. Without question. And we've learned that we're going to have you around for a long time. I hope so. I'm going to take your word for that. <laughs> that sounds great. That is CJ Brown. By the way, of all the things we talked about with your career, three-time Chicago Humanitarian of the Year? Yes, I'm, I, I I got out there quite a bit. I was uh, busy in the in the community. Loved it. That's great. Yeah, that's great. I love that. I love that part of it. Um, appreciate you coming by. And, no, and thank you very much for having me. Talking. Uh, we thank Chris Armas obviously for his time. Gordon Stevenson, our technical guy. C.J. Brown, Red Bull assistant coach. I'm Matt Harmon. We'll see you this weekend in New England. Don't forget to subscribe to us here on the New York Red Bulls Radio Network. Kickoff time up at Foxborough, 7:30. We'll start at 6:30 on our TuneIn Radio app, the New York Red Bulls app. For more information on anything New York Red Bulls involved, go to the website at newyorkredbulls.com. Thank you.